going on, guys? You're listening to episode number 23 of I Just Want to Be Hiker Trash. I'm your host, as always, hell yeah, Jesus. And here we are, the start to season two, almost to the new year. New episode, new me. Let's get on with it. If you are a longtime listener, you might have noticed there's been a little bit of a break. And I'm going to address the elephant in the room, you know, main reason. I, well, let me let me just give you two small reasons and then I'll give you the main reason. Two small reasons here. I was guiding in Rockman National Park and didn't have a place to record. I was too busy. That's a fair excuse. Reason number two, graduating college, just graduated bachelor's in science, wildlife biology, cum laude. Woo, woo. Very impressive. Yes. Round of applause. Cut it. All right. And <laughs> next reason. Finally, I was just down. I was down in the dumps. I was very depressed. Um, if you've listened before, I've been dealing with it for a long time. And this one just really got to me. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Even when I was guiding, like I would be on my days off. And here I was in this beautiful country, right in Rocky Mountain National Park. And I, I couldn't do anything. I just lay in bed. I'd let my dog out. We'd go on a little hike and then I'd just stay in bed all day. And I had that big goal of hiking 60 miles in a day and I, I, I routed it all out and I had one attempt. One attempt, I, I got so pumped. I, for the first time, I was feeling good one day and I said, I decided last minute, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to do the 60 miles right now. So I headed to the grocery store. I got a bunch of food. I was too excited to sleep. It was like almost, you know, it's the night before Christmas and I'm too excited. I can't sleep. So I, it's like almost 12 a.m. and I just decide to go for it. I'm hiking in the dark. I'm singing to myself to scare away the bears. I'm a little bit scared. Full moon. It looked beautiful. I had to sneak in the woods and get past uh, construction in the park. So I felt like a little bit of a bad boy. I ran into a coworker who had just uh, hiked a mountain in the dark um, while I was walking on the road at like 3 a.m. And that was a pretty pretty fun that got me pumped up and then 26 miles in I just hit a hit a wall I, I think it's because I didn't eat and I didn't sleep well and I just uh I it was very sketchy because I was I had a 10 mile stretch off trail in the alpine um ecosystem so above tree line and it just really wasn't safe so I had to call it call the coworker to pick me up and it was a bummer but uh yeah Sorry, I got my mustache hair stuck in my mouth, and we're not going to edit that out because this is real life, people. I'm not an Instagram influencer. I'm speaking the truth. All right? All right. Thank you. So, anyways, that was a bit of a tirade, but let's get on with things. I just want to say this season's going to be filled with episodes. Well, of course filled with episodes, but filled with uh, interviews is what I meant to say. I appreciate everyone who have who has reached out over email. I apologize for not responding back. Like I said, I was just super down, man. Um, I hope you guys can understand that and and forgive me, and we can move on and move forward with things. Today's episode is a little bit of a season two opener. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a monologue. It's gonna make sense. I hope it's not too convoluted, but it's gonna make sense. I hope. I'm praying. But yeah, I, I like to do some of these things where it's not all scripted. I don't. I don't want to play by the rules. I feel like that's a little bit like through hiking. I feel like when I'm out there in that flow on the trail, I'm smiling. I got the music pumped up in my ears. I'm high-fiving trees. I'm doing a little jig, doing twirls up the switchbacks. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling good, and there's no script. You know, I'm not, I'm not planning my miles per day. 
I'm not planning my stops out. I'm just out there hiking and appreciating life. So let's get on with things. So to start things off, I want to read a story. This story was actually told to me while I was guiding a hike, or actually I was, I was co-guiding the hike. So I was in the back, you know, I'm shooting a few facts here and there. And while I'm in the back, just make, making sure no one's getting lost, no one's getting left behind, one of the guests starts telling me the story. And it's kind of odd. And the story itself is not, but I'm just, I wasn't sure what exactly prompted the story, but I appreciated it. And it, honestly, it really made sense with my life. It kind of felt like this synchronicity. You know, we have times where things just don't seem to be going our way. And maybe you're on the trail and it just feels like you're running into a lot of bad luck. And we got to stop fighting with things. We just got to start going with the flow, going with the flow of life. Life's like a river. Um, but I'll just share the story and maybe it'll make sense after that. There once was an old Zen farmer. Every day the farmer used his horse to help work his fields and keep his farm healthy. But one day the horse ran away. All the villagers came by and said, We're so sorry to hear this. This is such bad luck. But the farmer responded, Bad luck, good luck. Who knows? The villagers were confused, but decided to ignore him. A few weeks went by, and then one afternoon, while the farmer was working outside, he looked up and saw his horse running towards him. But the horse was not alone. The horse was returning to him with a whole herd of horses. So now the farmer had ten horses to help work his fields. All the villagers came by to congratulate the farmer and said, Wow, this is such good luck. But the farmer responded, Good luck, bad luck, who knows? A few weeks later, the farmer's son came over to visit and help his father work on the farm. While trying to tame one of the horses, the father's son fell and broke his leg. The villagers came by to commiserate and said, How awful! This is such bad luck! Just as he did the first time, the farmer responded, Bad luck, good luck. Who knows? A month later, the farmer's son was still recovering. He wasn't able to walk or do any manual labor to help his father around the farm. A regiment of the army came marching through town, conscripting every able-bodied young man to join them. When the regiment came to the farmer's house and saw the young boy's broken leg, they marched past and left him where he lay. Of course, all the villagers came by and said, Amazing! This is such good luck. You're so fortunate. And the farmer said again, Good luck, bad luck. Who knows? There's often times in the trail where you run into bad luck. Or maybe you run into a, a spree of good luck and all of a sudden something bad happens. And this happens in life too. And I often think the trail is a metaphor for life. I'm about to share a story that I recently just heard. I was working the other day at the, at the gear shop that I work at. And a man came in and we were just talking and, you know, shooting the shit getting along, and I found out he was a, a Sobo on the Appalachian Trail back in 2005, and he started sharing me the story, a story where he, he almost died. He was finishing his hike close to Christmas at this point, and he was in, I think it was either Georgia or North Carolina, so, you know, that's very far apart, but I don't remember. Anyways, he was in a very precarious situation where he's very ill. He has this, this stomach bug where he's has constant nausea that 
leads to diarrhea and vomiting, which is incredibly scary when you're dealing with not only fears of hypothermia, but dehydration. And, and so he's, he's out there in the woods dealing with this, no far from town. And he finds a shelter, which he thinks to be a saving grace. And so he gets all bundled up and he finds out there's a, there's a hole in the shelter. And so as he's laying there trying to stay warm, this whole wind is blowing through this hole and sleet is coming through and freezing rain. And he's just getting soaked and colder and colder. And not just that, every you know 30 minutes or so, he has to go up and use the restroom. Fortunately, he, you know, he thought, oh, wow, this is good luck. There's a privy here. But the privy ended up being a terrible situation because there was ice that had formed in the seat. And every time he sat down, it was just freezing ice against his bare buttocks. And he does his business, and every time he gets up and leaves, the ice freezes back over. And so inevitably, it's like this broken record of trying to warm up and then go right back to this freezing seat. And he's miserable and he's scared. And this seems to be one of those Alexander Supertramp type moments. I don't know if you've watched the movie, uh, what's that movie, Into the Wild, where the, the young man dies in the bus and he's worried about it. And all of a sudden a group of college kids come. And they kind of knew what to do. They immediately, you know, jump into to business and wrap him in a thermal wrap and they start feeding him hot food they have their stoves on and they're cooking him tea and and like i said hot food and this is his saving grace the trail had provided all these little moments of good luck and bad luck he held on to that hope and somebody came and that's not to say you gotta you should depend on the trail you know you when there's life or death circumstances, you know, you got to be prepared, but this is one of those things where there was nothing he could have done. And, and the trail just kind of provided that, that relief for him. And it was kind of a beautiful story. And I think we all, or at least I can relate. You know, I've had times on the trail where things have been going wrong and all of a sudden, like this synchronistic type of event happens and I'm greeted with the very thing that I was looking for. It's pretty incredible. I want to get back to social media. I think I I kind of briefly mentioned it in the intro, but, you know, it kind of affected my depression a little bit. Kind of affected, like, how I viewed myself. And, you know, every time I flip on the old gram, I come into contact with people doing amazing stuff. You know, someone's out there hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, and I'm in here binge-watching The Witcher. And it's like, what are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? Get off your your bootay and start a walking. It's like sometimes I don't know if I have, you know, late onset adult asthma or if I'm just out of shape. And it's probably I'm out of shape, but I'm trying to think of excuses because I think I work out a little bit. You know, I'm doing my, I'm doing a little bit. I eat healthy. Or I'm trying to. I eat healthy maybe once a week, and it's just not enough. I can't keep up with it. I can't keep up with it, and like. Why am I competing with all these people? What am I doing? Why does it matter? It's because I'm afraid to lose. I'm afraid to lose out on life, on time. 
I'm 27 years old. You multiply that by two, that's 54. You multiply that by two, it's 108. Is that, that's quick math. I don't know if it's correct, but that's a lot of years. That's a lot of years I could be missing out on. And I don't even know if I'm going to be living that long. You know, I might only have one more year good or one more good year left. I don't know. Hope not. And lately, you know, I, I love philosophy. I love philosophy. I'm all about it. And it sounds very uh, basic, you know, basic 20-something-year-old guy trying to impress the ladies saying, I'm big into philosophy, philosophy, I'm big into philosophy, philosophy. Okay, if you can't pronounce it, you don't know what it is. Um, and so lately I've been going, getting into stoicism. And it's an, it's an old philosophy, and if you're unfamiliar with it, Two good reads you can read up on is Marcus Aurelius's Meditations or Seneca's Epistles. And I just recently read them. I great, great reads, very quick, easy to digest. And the the Stoics they're all about death, which seems very backwards. You know that doesn't seem very inspiring. It seems very macabre and very depressing. But what they're all about is death isn't the antithesis to life because life is the journey towards death. You know, death is inevitable. It's a work of nature. It's divine. But life is a choice. Life is a choice choice we make each and every day, each and every moment. And people are afraid to, you know, lose, lose the f- past what they have in the past or lose what they have going on in the future and it's like you can't lose what you don't do not have. And we only have the present. And the choices we make in the present. Seneca says, you know, you're afraid to die, but do you know how to live? And that struck me. It's like, do I know how to live? I mean, I don't really think about breathing. Sometimes I do, you know. Sometimes I get, I have a panic attack and I'm like, how do I breathe? Do I, do I, am I doing this right? And I, you know, I have to look up a YouTube video, how to breathe really quick. And, but other than that, I feel like I know how to live, but really started thinking about it and like, how much am I actually living? How much am I actually making a conscious choice? It goes, you know, in hiking, it goes back to hiking. When I'm on the trail, I truly feel like I'm living. I truly feel like each and every moment I'm making a conscious choice. You know, every day, it doesn't matter if I hike 20 miles or one mile into town. I'm each step is a conscious choice that I make a choice to live. And Seneca was saying, a, was giving a speech. He's talking about this man who he lived for 80 years, but he said, no, the man didn't live for 80 years. He was for 80 years. How long did he truly live? It's pretty deep. You know, I, I want to, I want to start living more and not through Instagram. And because I see, uh, somebody hiking the trail in five days and I did in 122, and it's like, holy sh! How do you move? What do you What do you got? Wheels for legs? And it's like, geez, no. I want to hike. You know, I want to live for myself. Live for the moment. Sounds so cliche, but I think it, now more than ever, it's so important. We just constantly are in this feedback loop of we're not doing enough. Oh, they're doing this. This guy climbed the Great Wall of China with his with his hands tied behind his back. With on his using his toenails, and it's like, holy fucking moly, bro! Jeez, 
Hey, what did I do today? I made nachos with a cheese grater. I can't compete. But you can. We're all on an equal playing field. We all can give all that we have each moment. But I think there's, you know, there's something about, all right, so I know I want to live, but but why should I make that conscious choice? Like, why? I need a why. And so I'm going to go off topic a little bit here. But I'm gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come around and it's going to all make sense, I think. Because it kind of goes back to the reason why I started studying wildlife biology, the reason why I got into hiking in the outdoors, and it all goes back to this kind of these mystical experiences I had in the outdoors and, and the readings from the transcendentalists back in the day. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, I don't know, you, you start hearing about these guys, some of the things they did, and they, they don't sound like such great guys, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and so, you know, these, these guys have these fantastic romantic works such as Thoreau, Muir, Emerson, and they inspired me to follow this education in the natural world and in science. Henry David Thoreau even wrote about Mount Katahdin, and in his work Katahdin, he wrote, The tops of mountains are among the unfinished parts of the globe, where there is a slight insult to the gods to climb and pry into their secrets and try their effect in our humanity. Only daring and insolent men perchance go there. Their tops are sacred and mysterious tracks. And in the science we know today came in direct consequence of the fall of the church. And as the church fell came the rise of liberalism and the scientific method. You know, the church was giving meaning to everybody. Everyone was like, that's not enough. That's not enough. And so science came. And so as my education continued, the mysticism of nature, what I fell in love with in the natural world became over-intellectualized. You know, animals became mere numbers in the program R. Which for those of you that don't know, R is just, it's like Microsoft Excel um, for my field. Well, the famous philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, he made the famous statement that God is dead. God remains dead and we have killed him. And he didn't make this statement in a declarative atheistic way, but he made it as a warning. You know, God is dead and we're going to make a new God in his place. And right now in the age of technology... At least these are my words. I think this new God is scientism and the technology that's birthed and evolved from it. The Instagram, Twitter, the TikTok. And this new God gives very little in the way of individual meaning or purpose. It gives this sort of pseudo meaning and pseudo purpose. Well, the famous psychologist, one of my heroes, Carl Jung, he wrote a book, A Modern Man in Search of a Soul. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. And then Viktor Frankl, another famous psychologist who survived the Holocaust, he um, he was a Jew and he was put in a concentration camp and he used this experience to write a book about, about basically about meaning. And he wrote the book, A Man's Search for Meaning. It's a great book. You got to read it. But they make similar claims in their own way. They both make the claims that the 20th century man and woman, now 21st, has conquered the survival of nature and now they're left with this disconnect from nature they're left without meaning or purpose without a why and we've got to find that why ourselves 
We got to find why we should be making a conscious choice to live every moment. And this disconnectedness from nature, it has consequences. And I, there's hope though. You know, I've, I still find this sense of purpose, this mysticism, this, this romantic view. Every time I'm on a long distance hike or I go into nature or I'm guiding and it's, it's beautiful and it gives me hope. One of the positives from this new God is we're becoming more and more acutely aware of our public lands and our disconnectedness from nature. However, I feel like this, this knowing is often superficial. You know, we know these lands need to be protected. But from what exactly? And are we even ready to face the how? You know, we hear about the issues of climate change and overuse, but the general public isn't aware of the minute changes that have cascading effects or at at least they're not ready to make the changes themselves. There's a book called The Last Child in the Woods, which is another great book from Richard by Richard Louv. And he talks about what he coined as the term nature deficit disorder. And he describes it almost as a clinical diagnosis for our disconnectedness with nature. And he brings evidence to the many side effects of this and argues that direct exposure to nature is essential for physical and emotional health. And he says, quote, if education or if educators are to heal the broken bond between the young and the natural world, they and the rest of us must confront the unintended educational consequences of an overly abstract science education, ecophobia, and the death of natural history studies. So he's also making this case against the over-intellectualized abstract view of science that I briefly talked about earlier. And I think, what's, what's the answer to this? What gives us the why? I think it's the interpretation of the natural world. But what, what, is, what is exactly is interpretation? And, and how is it different from just like environmental education? Well, I think in, interpretation is distinctly different. I think, well, interpretation is literally the translation from one language to another. And in this case, the language is the local environment and the natural history and culture behind it. An interpretation is what gives us meaning or gives meaning to the landmark and location that we're seeing. It provides the ecological, cultural, and historical context and provides the reasoning for why we should care. You know, as as a guide in numerous areas, I know firsthand what this means. In the last two guiding seasons, I've been a hiking guide in Rocky Mountain National Park. And, you know, people often scoff at the idea of needing a guide. In particular, it seems to be my generation, the younger generation, from millennials down to fucking uh, whatever we are right now, uh, Generation Z or something. Um, anyways, to them, you know, needing a hiking guide is a thing of the past. Like with current GPS apps, we have Gaia, Onyx, Quick Shadow to Onyx, it's a Montana company, very cool. We have All Trails, you know, in Google. And so we know what something is. We know where something is. But knowing what something is and understanding the historical and ecological context behind it is entirely different. I mean, so not only am I there as a guide to physically guide someone to a location, I'm also there to give the full encompassing context behind what we're seeing. One of my favorite things to point out is this small little creature, this little bird looks very plain, almost looks like a robin without the red chest. It's called the American Dipper. 
or the oozel. And this odd kind of looking bird. And it lives in this beautiful landscape that the rapids, the crashing water on the rocks, the waterfalls of the creeks and the rivers. And you find him kind of riding down these waterfalls and riding down these cascades, bringing order to this this chaos, this chaotic water scene. And they're just riding there. And they're they're dipping or or bobbing for these aquatic invertebrates, like this larvae, this this damselfly and dragonfly and fly larvae, and they're you know, they're they're living life out there. It's beautiful. And I'm not the only one to notice this because Enos Mills, who's the father of, or is supposedly is called the father of the park, Rocky Mountain National Park, he also saw these birds, these amazing creatures, and he was so struck by them and, and the interpretation this offered to the air that he named key land fe- features or water features, I guess, like Oozle Creek, Oozle Falls. Oozel Lake, Oozel Mountain, after the American Dipper, or like I said, the Oozel. And so I think, you know, it's those small little things, those little background context that gives so much meaning to these areas, more than just, okay, here's a bird, here's some waterfalls, very cool, let's move along, you know? And on my hikes, there's like there's always a myriad of signs saying such things as like, please don't feed the wildlife, or don't cut the switchbacks. And on every hike, I inevitably see someone doing this. It's like, how does management of visitors work if the visitors know they shouldn't be doing something, but they do it anyways? Little Rexington, he's upset about it too. I don't know if you can hear him in the background, but he is he's making a ruckus right now. Well, interpretation, like I said, it gives us the why. You know, we've all heard the classic preschooler continually and often obnoxiously asking why, 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 to every statement or command. And although we've kind of grown out of it vocally asking this, our subconscious still asks why. These rules and regulations are more than arbitrary stipulations put on us by the governing faction. They're literally there to preserve the very place and trails that we're enjoying. So I, I wrote a paper about interpretive management for my one of my senior papers, and I'm not going to bore you with it. Um, but because I was writing this paper, I got a chance to interview the directors of visitor use management for the ATC, Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and also the PCTA, uh, Pacific Crest Trail Association. And, you know, they're talking about ways that they've been using interpretive management for overall trail management of those long distance hikes, those national scenic trails, um, such as the PCT using crest runners, the AT using ridge runners. And I just saw... Um, Odie from Hiker Yearbook Post about it. They're now doing like an LNT certification, so Leave No Trace certification. I think it's offered on the ATC webpage. Maybe I'll post a link. But they're trying to offer these interpretive ways to give people this why, you know, why they should care before they get on the trail. And if you've ever come in contact with a ridge runner, they're full of information they're very a lot of them are inspiring I, my first experience with the ridge runner was in the 100 mile wilderness first shelter in or last shelter if you go in northbound right before abel bridge right after southbound it's you know right by baxter state park and 
You know, me and my buddy were going with the flow. We're like the Zen farmer taking it all in. Good luck, bad luck, hard to say. And Moxie comes and she's this ridge runner. And I didn't even know what a ridge runner was. And she started talking to me about the trail. And here I am hiking the trail. And she's making me so pumped to be a part of this community. She's making me so pumped to see what's further ahead, which is incredibly important for hikers through hiking. And I think important for Southbounders because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Sobo. I'm sorry. Okay. So I know about the Sobo experience and it is a bummer when you're, you pass the whites and people said, whoa, you just did the best part. And it's like, holy moly, bro. So you're telling me I got to hike about 2000 more miles and it gets worse from here. Come on. How does that pump you up? But she was, you know, inspiring me. I was getting so pumped up for the priest shelter and writing a little uh, confession in the shelter logbook. The Grayson Highlands and the ponies. Buddy, I love the ponies. The Smokies. Even Georgia was pumped to go to Neil's Gap in Blood Mountain. She really inspired me and she gave me that wow. And I, I felt the spirit of the trail coursing through her and it started coursing in me. And if you've ever been on a long distance hike, you can, you can feel it. It's palpable. Palp- oh my God. Palpable? <laughs> Anyways, let's move on from that little stuttering thing. But it's, you can feel it. And it's actually for the uh, Appalachian Trail Comprehensive Plan. They talked about the spirit of the trail in the plan, which was signed off by the director of National Park Service and the chief of the USDA. They literally say verbatim, the AT is a means of sojourning among these lands such that visitors may experience them by their own, their own unaided efforts. The body of the trail is provided by the land it traverses and its soul is the living stewardship of the volunteers and workers of the Appalachian Trail community. And the AT doesn't have a monopoly on the spirit of the trail. I think if you're on a national scenic trail, you, you feel it. You really feel it. And it gives you the why. We're all searching for a why. Why do, why do I choose to live every single present moment? Why am I choosing to respect our public lands Hopefully, you know why you're listening to this podcast and makes your life a little bit better in the moment my laundry is done, if you heard the beep. So it's given me a why to fold my laundry. That's beautiful. So I don't have much more to say, really. I hope that made sense. You know, we're searching for a why. And as the Tao Te Ching says, are you the dreamer? Or are you the dreamed? Go out there and find your own meaning. Don't rely on the Instagram influencers. You know, maybe you can get inspired by them, but you're an individual. All right? Go with the flow. You only have this present moment. Okay, so it doesn't matter if Walking Sam 524 is out killing the Arizona trail. I mean, be pumped for him. Happy trails. 
but don't get down on yourself. You know, you don't need to be a through hiker to experience hiker trash to find the why, you know, to have a mystical experience in the outdoors. High five a few trees, kiss a fern, you know, hug a mushroom if you can find a big enough one. Okay, I don't know what's going on with my mic. I apologize, but I was on I was on a roll there, and it just kind of just ruined the roll. But that's okay, right? Because my laundry's done. All the noises are just hitting me right now, and it's you know it's is that bad luck? I don't know. Bad luck, good luck, hard to say. Hard to say. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I look forward to you guys listening to future episodes. I've got some good interviews planned. I'm not going to spoil it now. But thanks for choosing to listen to me in your present moment. It means a lot. And I give you guys all, or I wish you all happy trails going forward. <laughs>